You're listening to the Native Plants Healthy Planet Podcast, presented by Pinelands Nursery. Here are your hosts, Fran Chismar and Tom Knezic. Welcome back to The Buzz, brought to you by the Native Plants Healthy Planet Podcast, presented by Pinelands Nursery. I am Fran Chismar. And I'm Tom Knezic. And Fran, you're still looking a little sunburnt over there I, on, the, <laughs> on the computer screen. But in real life, you're uh, you're as pale as you've ever been. So. I, you know, it's funny because, you know, obviously I'm looking at it too. And like I got a new laptop, which has a, a higher def webcam. And I'm t- I typically look washed out like I do in real life. You know, but yeah. now, now I just uh, – look how yeah. rosy I look. You got a new laptop, but I, I doubt the production value of this operation is going to improve at all. None. <laughs> we'll, None we'll at see. all. Although I did fix the, uh, the the sound notifications coming up. That that's won't good. happen. But <laughs> we'll see what happens that's very this good, time. Yeah. Yeah. But this is episode 93, and uh, it's another episode of Buzz, and we are really excited you guys are joining us today. Um, we have a little bit of follow-up. This is a new kind of – I don't want to call it a segment, but a new thing we've been doing, but – I've enjoyed it because a lot of times we forget to, to bring up these things that people have written in about. Yeah, you know, there were times where we didn't have any follow-up, so it didn't mm-hmm. exist. But we get a lot of follow-up now, and I, you know, it's a lot of great information that I want to pass on. So it's it's nice that we've included this because I, I agree with you. It's nice to kind of give back and say, hey, this is what the community is saying about what we've been talking about. Yeah, so. and one of the things that came up was with our, one of our questions last time about what to plant in the backyard, kind of create like a tunnel or like a cave for kids. Yeah. And Alyssa Lewis, who interacts with us a ton, uh, wrote in and said that – actually put some pictures in our Facebook group of how her kids interact with uh, with uh, Sambucus canadensis. Yeah. Elderberry. And yeah, the so. elderberry. So And like sitting in it and like using it as like a – I don't want to say a playground, but like a place to go in and almost like retreat inside and kind of have their own little mythical area, I guess. Yeah, I thought that was actually really cool to see it firsthand, and mm-hmm. it was nice that – you know, it's I, – I think when our listener called in last week and presented this, I, I think she maybe assumed that it was a little of a strange request and – no one else mm-hmm. had done it, but obviously, you know, a lot of you are on the same page what you're thinking, yeah. and and yeah. and I love that out of the box thinking of how can we interact more with plants? How can I get my children to interact more? How can I get adults to interact more? Mm-hmm. And I thought that was a fantastic question, and I hope that some of the suggestions that we gave will will work. I'd love to be a mm-hmm. part of know that we were a part of that. <laughs> yeah, oh, definitely, definitely. Um, another one that came up was Bill Stustick, who is a proud uh, native. Or keep it native T-shirt owner. Oh, I've oh. I've met him the, for the first time, and he's wearing that T-shirt, which is cool to see. But that was a, a couple months ago. But he wrote in about something as well, right? Yeah, he shared uh, a Facebook group with us, uh, the history of Wyoming Valley's West Side, and it had information on mine asset because we talked in in my article last mm-hmm. week on on this or that. We talked about uh, the major sources of pollution for Pennsylvania streams, and one of the the top ones was was mine asset and that doesn't affect us here but mm. apparently you know a good portion of, of western pennsylvania it affects and, and i was going to say this wyoming valley pennsylvania you might not Sorry. be thinking this you might yeah. be thinking it's wyoming like the, the state the state <laughs> no there's, there's a wyoming county in 
in Pennsylvania. But but there was a lot of great information on mine asset and also uh, in the Chesapeake uh, Bay watershed and a history of dumping industrial waste into mine boreholes, which you know it's I, I guess it's hey we have all this waste what are we going to do with it ah we have all these empty holes and shafts let's just pour it in there yeah. you know and it's it's amazing how, <laughs> how far we've come like we haven't solved these issues but it's amazing how willy nilly we disposed of this newfound waste we yeah. created like waterways it, like it just boggles my mind it's like oh we're just going to throw this polluted water back in the water source mm-hmm. like not thinking hey maybe People use this water or drink this water. It's yeah. it's uh it's and it's not that long ago. Like a lot of this stuff isn't it's not like we're going back hundreds of years. No. Oh yeah. definitely <laughs> some of it's actually fairly recent. Yeah. So the other one uh name I have up there is um is not a listener, and you're probably wondering why that's up there, friend, but that's John Muir. And uh and okay. remember this was probably like four buzz episodes ago. It was quite a while. it was right around the turn of the year. And um I said don't you remember the name of that that like guy who helped with the national parks? And then they they're looking back and saying he was pretty racist. That was John. <laughs> no, okay, <laughs> and it was actually something from Sierra Club that um that there was some things that he did put in place. And I'm I'm not going to get into too in depth in it, yeah. but it was um looking back, and, and I think some of it was just the culture of the times. But some of the things were put in place um around the public uh, park systems out west where. They weren't as uh, – what's the word I'm looking for? They weren't as inclusive as yeah. they may seem. So, um, yeah, so those thought, were some things to follow up on. I meant to follow up on that a while ago, but I forgot. And then I was like, oh, yeah, I never brought up John Muir. No, but um, it's and, – and I know we've mentioned this on a prior buzz, but mm-hmm. Alyssa Lewis and your wife Melissa have been going through and trying to create lists from some of the things in our Facebook group. Mm-hmm. Of things that we talked about, and Alyssa will keep throwing, hey, you guys talked about this and said you would do an episode on this or wanted to do mm-hmm. this, and I forgot about all of them. Like, I, Oh, yeah. Like as yeah. soon as she brought them up, I'm like, oh, I remember saying that, but we didn't – we never write, <laughs> write yeah. any of that stuff down <laughs> yeah. to follow up on. Oh, I write it down. I just – I lose the notebooks. <laughs> I I literally – I just cleaned off like this well, this whole area that we're sitting in now, and I, uh, I found like probably like over 10 notebooks that I had written down. <laughs> in over the past like year but then it's like i'll rediscover it and i'm like oh i'll start using this notebook again and then i lose it after a week and then it's like it's just a constant change of uh, notebooks one great habit that i had had i should say because i stopped doing it was i would get these little five by seven mm-hmm. uh ringed notebooks that i would write all my notes in and then i would keep them almost yep. like a little diary as i moved to the next one i have a, a desk drawer with with mm-hmm. four or five in there but when we're sitting here for the podcast, I use paper from our recycled paper pile, mm-hmm. and I jot all these great notes down as we're talking and questions, and then I recycle them. You know, yeah. I don't keep any of them. It's probably I should probably well, but keep. At that, in in your defense, Fran, we're using them you're, as we're you're talking. Using those yeah. So then they don't really have as much merit because you already you have you have a recorded copy of your questions. It, but it's easier to. It's easier to go back and flip through a couple pieces of paper than it is to go back and listen to all of our yeah. podcasts. So yeah. I'm wondering if I should make that investment again so yeah. that we have some kind of archive. Maybe we can auction off our notebooks. You think anyone would be interested in oh, our I don't, Native I don't, Plants Healthy Planet notebooks or it can be a prize? I don't we know can, if I want to give those up. 
There's I, a lot of top secret information <laughs> in there that I've since forgotten about. Listen, mine has information that is of absolutely no worth at all. So I, I would gladly not auction it, but it can be a prize. I don't know that anyone would necessarily want it. You could take it and light it on fire. <laughs> you know, I don't know. There was uh, – now we're already getting off topic. After we said two – we we stopped announcing it on air. But Fran and I said to each other, we need to make sure we're out of here at a certain time today. And uh, we will be out by that time. We will I guarantee be. that. But um, another be. podcast I listened to, the Meteor podcast, they had something called um, their Auction House of Oddities. And it was just like random weird stuff they had lying around like um, – a, uh, I think it was a raccoon baculum, which a baculum is a bone in uh, a, a very personal area of raccoons. <laughs> <laughs> and you could use it as a toothpick. They, they had all kinds of like skunk, um, skunk oil essence really? that they extracted from a skunk. Yeah, they had all kinds of crazy stuff. And they were auctioning it off. Now, it wasn't just weird stuff yeah. that they were just getting rid of. It was They were auctioning it off to raise money for, I think it was the Theodore Roosevelt Conservation Partnership and other conservation-type uh, charities, so... I, it was I, for a good cause. I think they raised a ton of money. This is right around Christmas and New Year's as well. I don't even know if you know this, but one of our coworkers actually used a Plant Native Plants shirt from our store to give away to a nonprofit to auction off for one of their oh, non- cool. as part of a, a, a bigger gift, I believe. I mm-hmm. believe it was a shirt and some gardening tools and stuff yep. like that. Yep. So, And I saw what the bid was. I was actually really, really impressed. Yeah, <laughs> I was like, cool. wow, look at that. Like that's a great yeah. – Great gift. You'll so. have to fill me in on that later. I didn't know anything about that. I will make sure cool. I fill you in. So we always like to start these episodes off with some playful banter, and then we follow it up with the plants that we are vibing with this week. Let's roll into That's Hot. That's hot. So we do have a winner. It's not a tie. There is a clear-cut winner. I, I'm, I'm wondering what we won since this, this part's oh, not a competition. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Wow! Yourself, wow! But, and for that, I'm gonna go first, and I know this is gonna make uh, Melissa and Alyssa's job a lot easier because this is a repeat choice. I know one of us has picked this before. I think it was me, and my plant this week is Junipers virginiana, which is eastern red cedar. And you're wondering, wow, I'm listening to this for all this great content, and you're gonna repeat something? Well, there's a reason. <laughs> for those of you who don't know eastern red cedar, it's a a evergreen tree. It's like a pyramid shape. I think they can get like 40 or 50, 60 feet tall. They, yep. they can get pretty tall, but they don't – they take a long time to get to that height. Yes. Um, doesn't have what I would say a ton of wild wildlife value, but there are some wildlife that use it. Um, birds will use it. There's uh, these little, little light blue berry-like cones that are consumed by birds and some small mammals. It's very aromatic. Um in some good ways and bad ways, uh, we've referenced early on how it smells yeah. uh, very similar like to a lit- cat pee. Yeah, like a litter box. <laughs> um, but uh, and it can really be a good like hedge for like a windbreak or something like that. But why I'm picking this plant is while we it's not it doesn't have this tendency so much out here where we are. I think it's just was so developed. But in the Midwest and um, further west, it can be really aggressive, and uh, and I always wondered that. I heard from what well, we talked to. And I forget if it was on air or not, but was it Shannon, um, Shannon from uh, Backyard Ecology? She was saying how aggressive it can be, and but I don't remember if that was on air or not. I know, listen to the Learn Legacy po- podcast; they talk about it. Marcus Gray said how aggressive it can be. Um, Kyle Lieberger from Native Plant Talk has mentioned how aggressive it can be and how much he's cutting it down, just because you can replace that area with better plants just yeah. by cutting those trees down, and. Um, 
Well, I saw it firsthand how aggressive it could be because I had a flight. I had a meeting in Dallas. We flew into Dallas, and we're going from the airport to the hotel where the conference is. And I'm looking off just off the roadsides in places where here we see a lot of invasive plants like Tree of Heaven and, and um, those type of things. And there was just like – it was just short grass and a ton of eastern red cedar. I'm like, oh, I get it now. That's like – to me, where we are, I'm like, oh, okay, it's, it's supposed to be there, but it's uh, – yeah, and you don't see a ton of that kind of thing, but it was like a lot of eastern red cedar. I'm like, ooh. And browse okay. like are you seeing it browsed? Like we it would didn't see look it. look like no? it was. No. No. But and it's something I've noticed even here where they just seem to pop up in a lot of places. And like all of a sudden you see one that's like three or two, three, four feet tall, and I'm like, oh, I don't remember that being there. And um very true. So I I think here in New Jersey in our area it doesn't get as aggressive because there's just so many man made things in the way. Like first, um, like, you, you will see them. Yeah. Like if if there's say a, an exit ramp from a highway, like mm-hmm. you'll see them in that open area by the exit ramp. But it's not, it's it's not a hundred. It's three or four. Yeah, and this they'll was, look like this a was literally probably like hundreds wow. that were just. And there was nothing. It was just the the ground cover, and then those, and um, and it's very thick, and it, you could just tell it was it was becoming a monoculture. So it was just. You take some of those out, you can get some more diversity. You leave them there, you're going to have eastern red cedar and a little bit of stuff on the ground, and that's it. So, Rand, what's your plant? Uh, you know, I went in a different direction. I, I thought I'd try something different, and I was really excited when I noticed this. And, and I know we've we've audibly documented this, that we didn't rake the leaves in our backyard this year. And, you know, we wanted to create habitat. And one of the things that I noticed just this weekend, I was – shaving and i looked out the window and our backyard was filled with robins Mm -hmm. and they were rooting through the leaves looking for insects and it was like i i tried counting i was over 20 you know Mm -hmm. and it was just like i stopped counting and i watched them for it's when he ran out of fingers and toes right (laughs) (laughs) yes that's about that's about all i had so um i i watched for a good 20 15 20 minutes Mm -hmm. and was just so excited i even ran and grabbed my fiance and was like, hey, look out the window in the back and, and just see, you know, this is this is why we did this. So um I, I I'm picking leaves as hot just because that's something that mm-hmm. we may have missed out on. And you know, and Agatha prior to this would always put out bird feeders over the winter. We didn't put out bird feeders this year. We didn't mm-hmm. cut anything back. And there's plenty of habitat and we're actually seeing plenty of bird come to our yard yeah. and and have food and it was just i was really excited and i chose that as my that's hot mm-hmm. i don't know that i think that's a, it's a good choice what but we do say that it's the plants where you like that week so what well what, they're what kind of leaves plant- are they? <laughs> <laughs> what plant are they from you, you know it was uh red oak and white oak and pin oak actually not white so red pin scarlet mm-hmm. oaks uh, white ash mm-hmm. and uh, maple, red maple. Very cool. Yeah. So it was uh, a nice mix of leaves there, and and they were having a field day, uh, and I was just really happy about that. And it was that's what was hot and and happening in my yard. So. Yeah, I had a strange bird encounter in my backyard too. Oh, let's hear it. <laughs> we, my wife was sitting in our living room, and all of a sudden, this giant bird lands on the back porch, like lands on the back porch right by the back door. Okay, and she like kind of she didn't scream, but she like was like, "What the heck?" She kind of was al- alarmed that this happened, and um and called me over and uh, and actually thanks to uh, Doctor Randy Echol because I was talking to her 
the other day, and she I didn't realize that there were more than more than like just turkey vultures around here. There's black vultures as well. Oh, I didn't. and I didn't even think that this too, but they really stink because they're digging around in carcasses uh, all the time. Yeah. Well, it was one. It was either black vulture or turkey vulture. I now I got to figure out which one's which because I didn't know there were multiples in our area. And um, but it was right in our back back push. I'm like, what is that doing here? And I was like, oh yeah, I had um, harvested a deer the night or a couple nights before, <laughs> and I had processed it, and I had some scraps, but I'd already taken the trash out. So I said, it's cold out. I'm going to leave this just outside the back door, and I'll get rid of it tomorrow. Well, a couple of days had gone by, and I forgot. Oh. <laughs> I left it out there, and it was – so it went to a good home. Did it's, the vultures actually – Yeah, they were picking oh, okay. around in that bowl, and then eventually I tossed it uh, into our tree line, okay. like a little hedgerow because I knew they'd go and pick through it. But um, And it's probably better than sending it to the dump. I'm sure the garbage men would prefer it that way too after it had been sitting outside for a couple of days in, <laughs> in less than uh, or above freezing temperatures. So, yeah. But that was an interesting experience too because you really – you see them eating roadkill on the side yeah. of the road and you, you're not getting that up-close view. Um, they're, they're pretty wary when the cars are coming or when people are coming up, they get out of there. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, you have that glass window and – they don't know you're there. They get pretty close, so it was, it was cool to see one that close. I, I'd never experienced that before. I would have had my camera out. I would have been like, "Oh, we didn't have it. time." I was. <laughs> <laughs> it was once he once he realized we were there. He kind of saw the motion behind the door. He flew right away. But we got to watch him for a good 10, 15 seconds. That's pretty cool. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I like how we're thinking out of the box on a lot of our choices, and mm-hmm. I think I even went in that direction for our this or that. Oh, yeah. I think you did, too. So let's get into that, and then you can tell everyone who won. Ah, <laughs> uh, come on. Uh-oh. I told I told everyone before. We got a new com- – Frank got a new computer, but uh, right. the production value is uh, is still it's still it. the same. All right. Hold on. Here we go. You can get with this, or you can get with that. <laughs> <laughs> the first one wasn't even – the production value was me just getting confused. <laughs> um, so, so we we do have a winner, and it's not a tie. And the winner is Tom won twelve to nine. And I'm, you know what? At one point, it was tied eight eight or seven seven yes, for a very yeah, long time. I, I am much happier, you know. And, and our tiebreaker seemed to be very popular, but I would rather lose than have a tie. So you don't want your ass kicked again is what it is. <laughs> Sorry for uh, <laughs> that might be it, but I'm I'm happy that uh, and and it and the amount of votes went up yeah. again this week. So I was really happy. And about speaking that. of feedback, I had no clue that that Russ Finari was a fencer. I need that was photographic proof, yeah, or video yeah. proof. I have to give him a call anyway, so I'm going to have to ask for this. We need (laughs) ask a lot of questions. He needs to post a fencing photo on the Facebook group, Mm -hmm. so we can we can. We're not posting our 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 (laughs) video of it, but he needs to post it. All right, so you get to pick. Would you like to go first? You know what? I will go first. All right, Um, we'll change things up a little bit and. uh, and I once again went back to the well. It's uh, oh, look who you <laughs> picked. I went with a, a New York Times article um, by Margaret Roach, and uh, and it's really thought provoking, and it kind of ties in with something else we're doing later on today. What did you pick this before, or did you know? I, did so you know? I didn't know that was going to be your question. Oh, okay, All and, right, perfect. Um, or for later on, but I uh, my strategy every every week is i yeah. all the stuff that pops out on social media or people are sending it to me uh, or through emails i just open it in my browser and then 
when I go to pick an article, I scroll through and see oh, which one of these articles I think do I want to pick. So I did pick it after you had told me okay. what our, our little discussion topic was later. But all right, but you um, already had it. But I already, already had it was in my okay. queue. So well, and this it ties was, in uh, perfectly. This is from February second, twenty twenty two, and the title was "Why Gardeners Should Stop Using Peat and What to Use Instead." And right. it's a very pertinent topic because as we're becoming more ecologically aware we realize that some of these renewable resources that we deal with maybe not may not be as renewable as we once perceived and that's what this article is kind of about it, it's i think it's twofold it's maybe we're not it's not as renewable as we once perceived but also probably being consumed at a more astronomical rate than it's ever have. And it's also, yeah, the impacts of consumption as well. There's a lot of thing, factors that go into this. So little snippets from the article. Uh, environmental leaders and other high-profile voices like Monty Dunn, who's the British horticulturist who we've referenced a bunch of times. I think he even did an article at his one time. I did. Um, have been sounding the cry, gardeners should stop u- using peat uh, because of the consequences of his continued harvest on diverse peatland habitats. And the native habitats uh, and animals that inhabit them are too high. Uh, but most edicts don't include precise directions on what to use instead, at least suggestions that reliably translate to success, particularly for seed starters. Um, and the author, Margaret Roach, sought guidance from Brian E. Jackson, who is a person I think I'm linked with on LinkedIn because he does a lot of nursery-related stuff okay. in regards to soilless substrates. Um, and he's an associate professor in the Department of Horticultural Science at North Carolina State University, whose graduate degree degrees and career have fo- focused on soilless growing media or substrates, which I basically just said. <laughs> so Dr. Jackson, the director of un- the university's horticultural substrate laboratory, is one of the handful of scientists at public universities in the United States studying the role of these materials in horticulture and agriculture. Um, speaking of which, one of our former interns, Chris Cicerone, yes. went to LSU. He's actually doing this kind of research as well, and I think he's defending his He's either just defending his master's or he, and started his PhD, or he might even be defending his PhD. Soon. Oh wow! But he's doing That's a lot fantastic. of research on uh, on on soilless substrates. And I messaged him at one point. I'm like, Chris, don't remember where you came from. And <laughs> make sure you're giving us this information. So, um, so like many gardeners, I want to contribute to protecting peat, to protecting peatland habitats. I told them peatlands provided hydrological services, filtering water, and acting as giant sponges to prevent flooding. The loudest argument, though in the call for bogs, not bags, as in don't harvest from the bog to bag it for sale, is the critical role of peatlands as vast carbon sinks. Peat extraction releases substantial CO2, a greenhouse gas contributing to climate change. And, uh, And she wanted something else as well. She told Dr. Jackson, I want my plants to thrive. You're growing plants. You want them to live. So, or at least do... Do moderately well. Um, Dr. Jackson confirmed what she suspected. Finding a recipe that works uh, for her, whether pre-mixed or home blended using multiple ingredients, will require experimentation. Just as if you're cooking with um, with flour alternatives yeah. be- to avoid gluten or something like that. Um, Pea is being banned in other places of the world, so peat bans and other environmental efforts are not the only triggers causing what Dr. Jackson calls a perfect storm of soilless media demand. Forecast to increase as much as fourfold by 2050. What do you think is causing that, Fran? What? The cannabis boom. Oh. That's another factor. And as industry shifts from growing crops like berries and citrus fruits in soilless growing systems rather than in the field, and so the pandemic fueled, and um, as so is the pandemic fueled gardening boom as well. Um, another thing to consider, 
and this is again from the article, no product is without an environmental footprint, whether from its production, transport to market, both. Um, coconut core is a product we used to use a ton of. Yeah. And yeah. we kind of pulled away from for other reasons, not necessarily um, environmental friendly reasons, uh, although that is something that happened as well. Yeah. Um, is sourced predominantly from South Asia, requires a ton of fresh water because it's growing in tropical areas, typically near the coast. And uh, you need to wash all that salt off or the salt will kill your plants. So um, perlite is sourced from Greece and vermiculite is sourced from South Carolina. And they both require furnaces to process them. So even local renewable materials like wood and fiber and bark and those kind of things require a lot of energy to process it. Uh, We use a lot of pine bark. It's chopped up into either five-eighths or or three-eighths mixes where it's screened from there. But it's chopped up really small. And... um, so there's a lot of energy that goes into one trucking that material to the play or to the factory, into pro- actually processing it, into screening it, and then trucking it to where we are. There's a lot of energy that goes into that. Obviously, more if you're doing it from overseas or out of country. So another thing to consider is that seedlings can be very unforgiving and uh, and about such physical properties. Um, Dr. Jackson said, and also the chemical properties like pH and salts. So thing, different things have different pHs. Uh, peat tends to be very low. Pine bark tends to be pretty low, like in the four, eight, five range for both of those. Um, so you need to adjust those pHs accordingly for the plants you're planning on planting. Um, some of the other products are closer to seven. So, and uh, for us, we want to be around like a six or six point yeah. two is our our range where we find the that's where you get the best nutrient. Um, but distribution. It, it does depend. You know, it does depend. One, There's one other thing, things that grow way, way lower and I, other things that like it a little bit higher. I always think of Atlantic white cedar, mm-hmm. which really prefers a pH of about four, and we have to amend the pH of our soil. Otherwise, yeah. it's, it doesn't die. It just doesn't grow. Yep. You know, if you want it to thrive and grow, you you really have to be cognizant of that. Yeah. So uh, finishing up this article, it's, uh, it's wood products that will fill the biggest part of the peat alternative puzzle here. And globally, Dr. Jackson said – um, no other raw or organic material is available in greater supply, often as a byproduct of lumber and other forestry operations. And I'd mentioned that pine bark we used before. That's from the lumber industry. They strip off all the bark. So it's a byproduct of that. It's so it, otherwise, it was getting harvested anyway. It's just, uh, I guess, before it would have been thrown out or made into something else. Well, it's something the nursery industry can use. Um, and uh, the last portion of this article that i want to point out is and not just composted bark but also new engineered products made from trees inner wood he and other researchers have spent 18 years sourcing processing and formulating and learning to use non-composted wood products as soilless media additives which i was just shown uh, about two weeks ago there's a, a product called hydrofiber which is a wood fiber additive that um or soil supplier or soilless media supplier had said because there's some peat shortages this year, said, hey, we want to use this in there as well. But then because of supply chain issues, he wasn't sure if he could even get that. So we, we had to make some very quick decisions, which we actually wrapped up this week. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it's a growing concern. It's um, I know in the UK, and I know it because of this article, that they banned or they had put a, a preliminary ban in place for peat products by 2020 we're already past that they haven't gotten rid of them yet um so now they're looking at like 2030 or 2024 was one date i saw another 2030 was another one and um because especially in europe the peat bogs are really 
declining pretty quickly. In Canada, there's still a lot of it. And like I said, it's a renewable resource. It does recuperate over time. I've seen some pictures of the peat bogs. I haven't been there. Um, And people I've talked to said it's way more sustainable than what it's being made out to be right now. But what we had this year was they couldn't get in because of some environmental factors, because of supply chain issues, because of um, manpower issues. They couldn't harvest as much peat as the nursery industry needed, especially with the rise of cannabis as well. Cannabis is just booming across the country, and it's a very demanding industry. Um, So, yeah, we weren't able to get as much peat as we needed for traditionally. So I don't know how how much to get into this because you know what our take it or leave it is later. So I don't don't want to go too far. My – so my, you're asking me to, to hold back my thoughts no, until for no, no, <laughs> later? No, 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 because no, I have a bunch around. of thoughts. And yeah. I'm, I, all right. So my first thought is okay. So it maybe it's not as renewable as we thought, mm-hmm. and we're depleting it, and it's consumption as well. So if you ban that and you go strictly to wood products, then what happens to that resource mm-hmm. as well? When all of a sudden that demand explodes, mm-hmm. you know? And I was thinking all of these products are going back in the ground. Like yeah. they are – plants are being grown in them, and they're going back into the ground, but not necessarily in the right spot or in the right yeah. places. Mm-hmm. You know, And sometimes if if you don't have the right soil mix, it's detrimental if you're going into a hard clay soil and you have mm-hmm. such a light peat-oriented soil mix in the pot, and then those roots are, have had no tough time reaching the pot, and mm-hmm. then you put them in heavy clay, and then they're they're struggling. Yeah. To yep. get – you shouldn't have to amend soil. Like there, it's changed with how you dig a hole for a tree over the last and 30 that, years. That was one of the tips in this article as well I was going to bring up was it used to be, okay, you dig you dig the hole, you're going to plant a tree. You dig yeah. that hole, you're going to dig it bigger than the footprint of the hole. Two to three times the size of, of the size You're going to take mass. the soil you took out and at the very least you're going to mix it in with – usually a peat-based product or something else to amend it so it's a better, what was then coined as a better, I'm doing uh, quotation marks with my fingers, um, soil for that, the roots to start spreading out. That's not the recommendation anymore. No. But a lot of people still do that because they haven't heard the new recommendation. And it's not to amend the soil and and not go to, you know, you want those roots to be able to take to their new environment, Mm -hmm. yet you're breaking up the soil that that you're repacking back around the mm-hmm. pot, but it should be able to – it should be a plant that should be able to thrive in the soil conditions you're putting it in. Yeah. It, so so if you're a home gardener or an industry professional and you had been using peat products to do that, well, there's one way to just cut back on peat right there. Yes. You're using less peat by following what is actually the new guidance um, for recommended best practices for planting that tree. Yeah. Um, the other thing is really you don't have to completely replace peat. Um, in fact, that's what we're doing yeah. is we're mixing in small quantities of other substrates. Um, uh, the one we're using is actually called pit moss, which is a recycled paper product, which is, I think, in my mind, even better than using a yeah. virgin product like um, we use wood, wood too, but like wood fiber. Yeah. Um, and there are Quir- limitations Quir is to another it. one. And yeah. now Quir is a byproduct as well from uh, the coconut, coconut industry. House. Uh, the wood fibers, like that hydrofiber, is a byproduct of the lumber industry where, okay, we have the parts we can't use. We can turn it into this wood fiber. So it's byproducts, but the pit moss is actually recycled paper. They're yeah. going, getting recycled goods, and then turning it into something else that's using, giving it a second life. Yeah. So it's still, I guess that's still a 
non well the other stuff would still be virgin products where this is a non-virgin product second second or third use of this product um i when we've used it i was really impressed with it we used it in a little trial but we also had some issues which they mentioned in the article where our ph was way off because yeah. peat moss has a ph in like the i think it's like in the fours high fours maybe and pit moss is at 6.8 or 7 yeah. so we you put it in a soil mix and then planted it and then found out, oh, man, all this stuff looks really, really bad. But it was because they had mended it with lime like they would the peat moss to bring it up to where it was supposed to be. But with pit moss, it didn't need that amendment. It was actually already at a 6.2, and they actually brought it up to a 7.2. So the plants were iron deficient because it couldn't use, utilize the iron that was actually in the soil, uh, which is surprising here because we have so much iron in our water. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> but, yeah, it was when I found out they were iron deficient, I'm like, man, what the heck is going on? And um, But the roots actually looked comparable or better than what we had in our peat mixture so it's a uh, we were kind of our hand was kind of forced and to to make some actions at the nursery take some actions because we we didn't have access to our traditional soil medias this year um i'm excited because i think it's going to work really well i think we're going to love it but it's still well it's a new thing and an experiment and we got to when you put all your eggs in one basket and it's something you've never done before it can get a little scary it's when you have it's a different a lot ingredient, of money which means you have to change your recipe. Yep. And you can't cook everything the same way when you change mm-hmm. ingredients. And we're going to have to adapt to it. You can't just take out one and plug the other one in and, and do everything the same. Yeah. You know, so you just yep. have to figure out how to do it. But I wanted to bring up, because you mentioned cannabis, and I, I know I can't do this for a grow read a book, but the book that I've been reading is The Marijuana Manifesto by mm-hmm. Jesse Ventura. And it goes into the history of hemp, and I didn't realize in the 1700s, if you had a farm, you were required to grow hemp, and you could yeah, pay – instead of paying your taxes to Great Britain, you could pay with hemp hmm. because hemp yeah. was more valuable than paper products. Mm-hmm. They, they would make sales for the ships and, and clothing Interesting, because yeah. it was more valuable until the cotton gin was invented, mm-hmm. and that's when – it started to gotcha. take off. Yeah, yeah. So it was – I mean that was already a major crop. So now there's a boom, but there's yeah. probably still less than when they're – you know, mm-hmm. than 200 years ago. Yeah, yeah. I know I've been – all these seed beings we go to, they're just pushing CBD and like CBD hemp over and over and over again. It's a lot of like turf grass people in these meetings are like, I don't want to listen to well, anything else about yeah. hemp. Well, I don't want to ruin the yeah. all the book for everyone, yep. but I guess that the changing – Tide was in the 30s with William Randolph Hearst, mm-hmm. who they someone invented a hemp gin in the early 1900s. Well, mm-hmm. he owned forests for fa- paper products for his newspapers, yep. and would start slant, like the only way we're going to get rid of hemp is if we tie it in with hemp is made yeah. out of the male plant. Mm-hmm. You you smoke the female from the buds of the mm-hmm. female. So they lumped them in together, and he start printing yep. all this propaganda because they didn't want to compete. They didn't want to change over. Yeah. You know, talk to, about another like racist <laughs> propaganda. Oh, oh the, it was really, really Ooh, racist. Yeah, yeah that but, was. Um, <laughs> yeah, another, a great article. Another thing that I'll, speaking of hemp yeah. is there's this Facebook ad that keeps coming up for some reason. It's talking about oh, you need to plant all this hemp for like cattle and stuff, and like let the animals eat what they ate before humans or before Amer- or colonists were here, and it's all there's there's another one with bamboo about how great bamboo is, and like is advocating to plant monocultures of hemp or monocultures of bamboo because it has all these uses. And um, 
And you know, I know who comments on every single one of them. Hell. Kyle Lieberger saying, that's not what was here. What are you doing? You're, you're advocating for a monoculture. We need diverse habitats. That's what's going to help the soil and help us. It's like we don't need monocultures of invasive plants or crazy other plants. It's like we need to have the original plants that were here to support wildlife. Very, it's, very true. But I love that he does. I like yeah. every single time he does it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Throw but, him a like here but, or there. But that was a, a great article and very, yeah. very timely. You know, especially there's a big peat shortage right yeah. now and you can't it's, get peat. It's something that we're experiencing. It's something that's been in the news. I got another email. Uh, actually, it's uh, by Brian Jackson from, from North Carolina State in um, Nursery Management Magazine because the whole nursery industry is going through this right now. Yeah. And it's, I think... There's already the awareness. Um, I think that that there are some complications with it. You can find that sometimes, I've mentioned before, sometimes that awareness and the complications, uh, ecological complications, can be overblown in some some senses. Um, I don't know exactly how bad it is, but it's enough that we want to make some changes here. We were thinking and trialing it already. This is just, hey, we're short on it. We got to do it. I, I know so. prior to you, your dad had been talking about cutting back or oh, out yeah. peat moss for a very mm-hmm. long time. And and here's a great thing. Now, because of the situation that everyone is in, you have to find alternatives. We may we may easily find alternatives that are way better for us exactly. anyway. You, yeah. you know, you get – we talked about when, – when you talk about nurseries growing invasives because they can grow them easily and they can sell them mm-hmm. easily. So why change? So this yeah. is thing now that you're – you're being forced to make a change. Mm-hmm. We may find alternatives that are better. way better. Yeah. So wonderful article. I guess I got to go. Yes, that you was do. so good. Yeah. Like I forgot I had to go. So I am, I, I went with something different this week myself. And the article, the name of my article is more than 400 invasive fish dumped from aquariums found in Texas river. And it's by Margaret Osborne in the Smithsonian magazine. And you know, we talk about invasive fish or invasive species and how do they get there, and I thought this would, would be a good article mm-hmm. for that. So uh, researchers from Texas A&M and Texas State Universities pulled 406 invasive suckermouth armored catfish from the San Marcos River in Texas earlier this month per a Texas Parks and Wildlife Facebook post. The catfish, also called plecostomus okay, or plecos, are native to South America, Panama, and Costa Rica but were introduced into numerous water bodies in Texas after people dumped them from their aquariums. The fish are popular among aquarists uh, because they eat algae in tanks. A lot of time people purchase plecos for their fish aquariums to clean out the bottoms of the fish tanks and the sides and keep algae out of the fish tanks. And they don't realize they can get up to two to two and a half feet long. Uh, Melissa Bryant from the San Antonio River Authority tells KENSS's Sue Kalberg, Plecos grow rapidly and can survive out of the water for more than 20 hours. That really that yeah. amazes me. Uh, the fish have armored skin and no natural predators in Texas. All these factors combine to make their population explode, uh, causing problems for Texas rivers. They take over important habitats such as springs, push out, and replace native species including um, uh, listed species and species of conservation concern. They decimate native vegetation and undermine and destabilize banks. Gary Garrett, a fishery scientist and Texas Park and Wildlife Department director of watershed conservation, said in a 2011 statement. So this is going back. They've known this Mm -hmm. for 10 years. Oh, yeah. Um, In no way do they have any redeeming qualities. The cost of invasive invasive species in North America has increased in the past 50 years. In the 1960s, invasives cost an average of $2 billion per year. In the 2010s, that number spiked to over $26 billion. 
Invasives, invasives also harm native wildlife. Per the National Wildlife Federation, approximately 42% of threatened or endangered species are at risk due to invasive species. Scientists suspect the armored catfish may have caused population reductions in native species called Devil's River minnows that live in San Felipe Bay Creek in Texas per a Texas Parks and Wildlife post. The 400 fish collected from the San Marcos River will be euthanized using a fish anesthetic for uh, and used for research, specifically population control methods, uh, methods, says Monica McGarity, Texas Parks and Wildlife Department senior scientist for aquatic invasive species, to Newsweek's Catherine Ferris. They want to look at the age and growth rate of the individuals in the river to get information about population dynamics, McGarity tells Newsweek. Researchers fitted suckermouth armored catfish in the San Marcos River with tags last year to study their movements and increase the effectiveness of removal efforts. The fish are not prohibited in Texas, and current management focuses on increasing awareness about releasing aquarium life per Texas Parks and Wildlife Facebook comment. So, you know, we wonder how these things happen, and there you go. That's mm-hmm. one main thing, and they're exploding. There's no natural predators. Living 20, 20 minutes outside was it 20 hours i think it was 20, 20 hours. hours outside of water yeah um and it's it's hurting this the banks the populations the water quality that's the main thing we, we didn't even talk about water quality and what it does to biodiversity yeah. and how that how that ruins water sources and especially when you get in parts of the country where water sources may be limited or lacking so i i thought that was pretty telling and i'm sure this is just one snapshot I I have no doubt that this is occurring. You mm-hmm. could probably pick twenty cities and, and have this. I done. think the the big thing that stuck out to me was was that a lot of these people were like, "Eh, I'd go drop it off in the river, and no one's going." Yeah, it's nothing. It's not a big deal. Yeah, and then not realizing how much, and I bet they even how many of them have heard that this is an issue. Like they did it, and the, like, do they even know that they? Oh, are they? How many have actually said, oh, I found out that that was a really bad thing I did. I wish I could take it back. I'm going to go down and try and catch all the placostomuses in the river. How many stores that sell these fish knew enough to say, what are you you getting this for? How big is your tank? Oh, that's going to way outgrow that. Don't buy that. And I know a lot of – well, I shouldn't say a lot. One of my best friends is is big into aquariums. And even when we were kids um, growing up, I remember being like middle school. And he loved the placostomuses because they helped clean the tank, and he wanted them to get huge. He was like, I want him to get I, – I, this thing can grow up to like two and a half feet. That's going to be awesome. Like that was his big reason yeah. for getting it. And he didn't have a tank that would be big enough for it. And I don't think it lived long enough in that tank. It got pretty big though. He did have one that was probably like eight inches long. The, the, whole, the whole idea of an aquarium to me – you know, it's funny as we progress into our journey and we do this podcast. Like I look at zoos differently. Mm-hmm. Than I did, and and I'm sure a lot of people do after Tiger King and came out and all that thing. But you think of zoos, I think of the same way aquariums. I'm like, like yeah. you don't see, like when I was a kid, a lot of people had birds in cages in yes. their house. Yeah. And you think of how cruel that is now, mm-hmm. like, but no one thinks that eh, maybe a fish in a fish tank, <laughs> like yeah. a small fish bowl, isn't. You know, that's not cruel. It's, yeah. It just seems odd to me that that's one thing that a lot of people are like. No, that's okay. That's mm-hmm. okay to have. I, yeah. I don't know. It's I look at that and then the other issues that it's causing because there's no information or lack of information going to people saying mm-hmm. – like I'm sure how many – not just where, where people didn't think to ask how big of a tank. It's probably like, oh, you have algae? Buy this. Mm-hmm. 
Yep. Because this is gone. Yep. Exactly. And I think that is what the recommend. If you have want to not have algae in your freshwater fish tank, you get a plocosinus. That's just yeah. like that's that's just a rule of thumb. Yeah. I remember. I think when I used to have a fish tank when I was like 12 or so, I think I had one in there. Wow. I had some cool fish in there. And then I went on vacation and didn't take care of them and forgot. And uh, a bunch of them did not make it, but some of them did. And I had, I had actually had an aquarium for a long time. Now I'm thinking about it. But um, um, I would not want to have one again. I think they're, they're interesting. Yeah. But but this is, another, again, the, the invasive species and being released from, like, aquarium fish is a big deal. I know it's a, it's a huge thing down in, like, South Florida, too. And they are, like, in all the canals. And I, I watched a youtube video where they're catching all these um i think it was like oscars and there's a couple different other kinds of fish that were like aquarium fish they were not native there and they were but they were just infested these little canals and waterways and they were just catching them and then they ate them and like they're carving up the meat is like bright blue and bright orange it's crazy but um yeah it was really interesting but it was they were it was they were catching these aquarium fish but i remember oscars were one of them but um no, it's an issue all over. And people do it with their goldfish. They go, oh, I don't, I feel bad flushing them <laughs> down the toilet, which that's probably not a good solution anyway. No, but, no. Um, well, I immediately started thinking, like, you hear the rumors about people with alligators. Yeah, they get alligators because yeah. they're like, oh, this is cute. And I was like, oh, what am I going to do with this yeah. big alligator? I'm just going to dump it. Yeah. You so. know. But two great articles. Uh, I know you won last week. The articles last week, I don't think we mentioned. I had the Pennsylvania Stream Health article, uh, which lost, and Tom had the midwinter pollinator tasks. Um, and this week, you have another two great articles to vote on for uh, about peat. Mm-hmm. Uh, stop using peat and invasive fish uh, and disposal of invasive fish in natural streams. So uh, make sure you go to the Facebook po- uh, Facebook page, the Native Plants Healthy Planet Facebook page. We'll have it up there, and you get to vote because. And of course, the choice is yours. All right, so much for short. We're already forty five minutes into this. We, re- yeah, we'll be okay. You ready for listener shout outs? I'm ready. Listener, listener, shout out, shout out, All right, I'm gonna go first. All right. Um, so I wanted to give a shout out to Sally Merrick who emailed, uh, Tom and I a few times actually. Um, she, she's not someone that wants to use Facebook. So she actually reached out to us via email with some feedback. And for our listener, I believe it was Joe whose parents moved to, uh, the Pittsburgh area of Pennsylvania and was inquiring about native flora. She was saying that one of her favorite books, she, she lives in Pennsylvania. Uh, it's called the vascular flora of Pennsylvania, uh, annotated checklist and atlas by Rhodes and Klein jr. So, uh, I actually looked into that. That looks like a fantastic book. Really? So yeah. So we might have that, to add it to the library. That's a great resource I didn't know about or hadn't thought about. And I thought that was great to throw out there. So if you're in that area, please pick up that book. And uh, I, I can't thank Sally enough for reaching out. She had some feedback on some other things, and we just really appreciate that. Yeah. And then uh, we got another five star review. And uh, again, if you leave a five star review with a little write up. You have the chance to win a, a Yeti tumbler, which was on my desk here, and I don't see where it went. <laughs> <laughs> Not that you can see it from uh, from your ear earphones anyway. But um, and uh, yeah, so if you leave a five star review and a little write up. Um, not only do you get a shout out, there's a chance you can win that Yeti Tumblr, and we're going to do that on our hundredth episode. Is we're going we're, we're going to announce that winner, we're, which is coming right up. We're coming up on two years, mm-hmm. which we're going to hit before yeah. the hundred. But two years, a hundred episodes, and a hundred thousand downloads. Yes, yeah. which is which is it, amazing. They, they're all going to hit right within about a month of each mm-hmm. other. So yeah. it's it's pretty. Yeah. 
pretty humbling. So, um, but that review was left by Christine St. George, and I know it's pronounced St. George because she told me <laughs> in, in the review. But it was, there's, um, I, I can't think of kinder words that were said to us than no. that. That went like above and beyond in boosting our egos. It's I, I actually, in all, all kidding aside, I, I saw it last night and I read it last night and it, uh, and then I'm not you even said joking. It, 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 it brought a tear to my eye. Yeah. It, it really did. And, you know, I never imagined that I'd be mentioned in a, in a sentence or a paragraph um, as an inspiration. Mm-hmm. And it, it really touched me. And, it's, and what, what got me about this review was she spoke about us being an inspiration, but then – it, here she is being an inspiration and showing leadership and mm-hmm. initiative and getting involved and making a difference. Yeah. And that's inspirational to me. And yeah. I couldn't be more proud of being part of that journey um, or be more proud of Christine for, for doing this and sharing sharing that experience. Yeah, and it's, it's, it's kind of what we're asking. And what, I know Fran and I have been doing it as well where we're getting more involved with these these issues. I know – uh, a lot of I've asked people to write to their state senators and local politicians and even their their national congressmen and senators um, on stuff. And I, I started doing that a lot more because I'm like, oh, if I don't say anything, they don't know. And I, I've only gotten a handful of responses. And usually it's just like, oh, thanks for writing in. But they at least they know that someone cares about these things. So it's like getting more involved makes a big difference, whether it's at the local level, national level. With, find your passion and, and get involved with it. We had a conversation in the office yesterday about local environmental uh, commissions and mm-hmm. what's going on locally. And you know, the more I I look and talk to people, I had um, someone from our community who my son and their son play lacrosse uh, together in high school, and they compete against each other in college. And they reached out about a nonprofit they were a part of, and they were asking uh, questions about composting and I was able to connect them with Amy Green who is a mm-hmm. former guest yeah. on our show because she just recently got involved with a company called Community Food Cycle mm-hmm. in Hopewell Township about uh composting um local food waste. So it was just it's funny how like it's all coming together like and people are getting involved in one aspect or another. It may not be with this part or that part, but they all connect and we're able to connect all these great people together and it's we were able to connect Christine Roundabout with Sam Drogi, who helped mm-hmm. uh, with an uh, organization that she's working with and, and writing grants. And yep. that's that's just a wonderful thing to to be able to connect all these people together. Yeah. That's how I feel like I'm not really a part of it. I'm just like no, and part that, of the net. Like, that was connecting. our goal yeah. was the talk with the in, really interesting people we know, and hopefully it sparks someone to reach out to them and get involved with, with what they did. Yeah. And it, I'm just so happy to see that it's working. Yes. And that and but we aren't going to get big heads. Too. No, that's, no, not at all, <laughs> that's, that's not at all. Of that. uh, a couple other names are just people that I ran into in the last couple of weeks that I found out were listeners or started listening. Um, first was Peter Crowell, who I met at uh, the Total Pro Expo, which um, Lori Jensen had mentioned because it's something NGNLA, which I'm a part of, helps sponsor. It's the New Jersey it's New Jersey Nursery and Landscape Association, and they had a whole sustainable uh, sustainable land care. Track. Uh, track, which I got to speak on. Rick McCoy, who's a presenter, got to speak on. A lot of people that actually been affiliated with podcasts were there. Um, but he came up to me and he said, man, I, he works in the golf industry 
And he's like, man, it really makes me rethink a lot of these things. And he's like, I don't know if I should thank you or hate you. <laughs> because <laughs> because of, like what we're saying is is sometimes the opposite of what they're doing there. Yeah. But there's a space for both. If you if you can make it work together, as evidenced by what Marcus Gray would, had preached yeah. about. Um, and he actually sent his blog, which was really cool as well. It, it, I don't it know was, if he calls it a blog, but it looked like a blog when I, when I looked at it. So that's what I'm calling it. It was, but uh, it was just kind of his walk through his industry and what he's learned about native plants. And same thing, finding those juxtapositions and finding where they can come together. It was it was really interesting. It was, and Tom shared that with me, and that was very interesting to read. And and I knew who you were talking about immediately because he had commented on the native plants healthy. Planet Facebook group about my choice of almost giving my son the middle name of badass. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. <laughs> then, uh, then two others was a guy after my presentation. I talked to him for a long time. Uh, his name was Todd Bradbury, and he's a landscaper in I think northern New Jersey. And um, and then he sent me an email after saying, "Oh yeah," and I ran into Becky Polenberg, and who's uh, owns a company called Wild Spaces by wild spaces by becky plants a lot of native plants with her clients and he's like i ran into her and she told me you need to listen to his podcast so thank you becky for referring todd and thank you todd for for becoming a listener so awesome it's it's i love that this network just keeps growing oh yeah i I, it's nice to now that the pandemic i don't want to say it's over but it's um as omicron starts to wane and people are able to get out a little bit more again like we saw in other parts where where things got a little bit more relaxed i shouldn't say relaxed but um, I know safer, safer, I guess is the right word where you didn't have to worry quite as much as you could go out and it wasn't, things were running rampant. Yeah. It's nice to be able to see some of these people face to face for the first time. It's, yeah. it's pretty cool. That's totally. So, uh, let's move on. I have no complaints, which is always which is good very thing. good. Um, but we do have a question. I want to ask you a bunch of questions and I want to have them answered immediately. It's a simple question. Um... No, I didn't hear you. What was your question? So we're doing something a little different. I, we know we have a question, and I get like a, a text transcript of the question. So I kind of have – I know who it is, and I have an idea of what it is, but we haven't listened to it. So we haven't prepared for it. We're going to answer it the best we can without uh, preparing because I, I saw what what the initial gist of the question is, and I wanted it to be more – Free thought. I, free thought to, to, to answer this one. So let's, without further ado, let's play that question. Hey, Brandon, Tom. This is Carolyn from New Jersey. And I was listening to your episode um, about when Tom was doing that plant arrangement and then there was the eucalyptus plant and the person that he was talking with said it was native and, you know, it was a really awkward conversation to engage in. And I recently also had somebody else ask me a similar question about how to engage with somebody um, when they had a non-native or particularly non-native and very invasive plant on, um, it was on their neighbor's property and how to engage with somebody um, in this type of conversation, especially when it might not be well received, like in Tom's story where the person kind of blew him off and said, oh, well, no, it is native. Um, I'm really interested in learning more about how to welcome people in and call them in rather than call them out in these conversations because I don't want to put people on the defensive and say you're doing a bad thing because I think a lot of times they're not 
meaning, you know, to do any type of harm. So whether it's some sort of template that, you know, I could suggest or to um, people when we're going to engage in these types of conversations with people in our community um, of the best way to say, hey, you know, you have Chinese silvergrass on your property and, you know, it's really highly invasive. Would you consider removing it and planting big bluestone instead or some other native grass and, and list, you know, the the insects that benefit from that plant? Um, I guess I'm just really looking for advice or some sort of format. And then obviously every situation is different, but some sort of way to engage with people um, who obviously are not meaning to do harm, but are really um, resistant to having these conversations and just finding a way to open up the conversation and engage with them. All right. Thanks so much. Looking forward to hearing your advice. So for our listeners that haven't figured it out, that's this is our good friend Carolyn Clauba from Sourland Conservancy. So I always appreciate when Carolyn calls because she always has such wonderful questions. Yeah. I – I have a, a ton of notes that I wrote, and I don't have a specific answer because I know how I would handle it. And I, mm-hmm. I, to me, there's no right or wrong way to handle it. I guess there's wrong things that you could do or, or things that aren't as – but I can give you some, some ways that I would handle it, and mm-hmm. I'm sure Tom yeah, definitely. Could, could do the same. So to me, like especially in the, the conversation that, that Carolyn referenced that Tom was having, you have to know your audience. And and it was a conversation that I don't think was going to be won. Mm-hmm. And not that you're trying to win, not yes. that it's I'm right and you're wrong, but you know, it it was one of those ones where I think instead of this is someone in the community that you know, instead of making an awkward situation more awkward, I think it was easier to step back. Mm-hmm. And maybe it can be revisited. At yeah. another time, but this wasn't the right time to do it, and it was just easier to to retreat mm-hmm. yep. <laughs> than to than to move forward. Um, to me, if like if if I had a situation like Carolyn was mentioning about a neighbor that had uh, Japanese silvergrass, I, personally, how I would approach it instead of I don't think I would ever ask anyone to remove it. Mm-hmm. Um, because we've always talked about people being on different parts of their journey and maybe having an emotional attachment to something that we're unaware of. I would say, hey, I just read an interesting article recently about the, how they're finding that Japanese silvergrass is becoming increasingly invasive. I just learned about it. Maybe you haven't heard it. I would love to share that article with you. Mm-hmm. And it's it's easier because if it's coming from my mouth – there's no credibility to it. Yeah. They don't know me like how I operate at work mm-hmm. or what my background is. They they would know me as a neighbor. So I would offer to share proof mm-hmm. like through an article that they can read and come to their own conclusion without my influence Yep. Um, and, and use it as an opportunity to educate and follow up and, mm-hmm. and let them kind of come to some of these realizations on their own. Um, and yeah. that's that's really I wouldn't ask for action, you know. And maybe I could follow up and say, "Hey, did you get a chance to read the article? That's amazing, isn't it? You know, it's one of those things. If you know, I've I've removed it from my property. I don't know if you'd want to think about that, but I'm trying to make a better decision. I'm, you know. And then then just say, 
hey, I have all these great alternatives that I'm thinking about to planting that would be better than these and 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 make it as a positive conversation without uh, conflict. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And one of the things with Fran's situation is he didn't make himself the enemy by saying, hey, you got to get rid of this because it's no good. Yeah. Um, even saying, oh, did you know that that's actually an invasive plant and you might want to think about getting rid of it? That could be like it's going to attack someone. You know, Some people may feel attacked. Yes. In that meeting I had in Dallas, we had a whole presentation, and we brought up in the last episode about listening, including that presentation is how people react to different things. And uh, one of them, like a big driver for many people is autonomy. They want to be involved in the decision-making. And when they're told to make a decision, a lot of people don't take that right. Even if the intent is really, really good. Oh, you should get rid of this because it's a bad plant. It's an invasive plant. It's it's going into the environment and displacing native plants. It provides no habitat for for birds and wildlife. You're taking you're, you got to let them make the choice in a lot of cases. And there's some people who are fine. Those who are, oh, I didn't know. I'm going to do that right away because they don't they don't have that same connection where they need to make the choice. But other people are like. Well, that wasn't my decision, yeah. <laughs> so I'm not going to do it, and they'll feel they'll feel attacked. And um, and you brought up a really good point, and this is something that we talk about. You know, being a salesman, mm-hmm. you can't just sell someone something. You yeah. have to get to know them, listen to what they want. So you brought up a great point of listening, and maybe a great way to approach it is: this is a beautiful plant. What do you know about it? Mm-hmm. hear their story like maybe it was just there when they moved in and they don't yeah. think about it at all maybe it was given to them a gift or it makes them think of their uh, deceased loved one or something like that and it's it, it will help you on how you approach it but get to know what they know about it what they like about it mm-hmm. if they care about it at all and then you know i would go for personally i would follow the same steps i said say oh you know i just found out that this this you know is becoming mm-hmm. a problem. They're finding this. I'd love. Hey, if you're interested in reading it, I'll I'll email it yep. to you. You yep. know, and that's that's how I would handle it. And, and I just find not that I'm not one for conflict, but you want people to have an active role. Mm-hmm. You you want them to be a part of it, and you want them to learn. You can't just tell. You yeah. can't just ban. You can't just say no. In in my situation too, and I I, I actually did not do what I'm going to suggest in my situation. Um, just because I have more of a background background with this person, I don't I don't think it would have worked in the, with this individual. But uh, what I've found is no one likes that like well actually person who's yeah. like, and then they have to go on this long tangent or tirade mm-hmm. about how what the person was saying is wrong and this is the actual truth. No one really likes that person. They kind of think they can be pompous. They start dreaming um, or they start dreaming and, yeah. and not listening. Yeah. yeah. But um, what I've found I'll do a lot of times is uh. If I shouldn't say a lot of times, but what I'll do from time to time when I come into those interactions is I'll actually find the person's contact info and, and shoot them an email and then like include some links and just say, hey, I didn't want to bring it up at the time because we were having a good time and I didn't want to sour the mood or anything like that. It wasn't the right time. But, yeah, I just thought you might want to know this stuff about that plant. And again, bringing science-based evidence to the table goes a lot further than, than word of mouth and hearsay. Yeah. Um, even if your word, your hearsay is from scientists, <laughs> yes. when it's coming out of your mouth, it doesn't mean as much as coming from uh, a directly reputable, from a reputable yeah. source. So, and you do it as as gently as possible because, again, you don't want to 
you can't make yourself the enemy because then you've lost that person and they're in a place where they could be actively disengaged against your influence. You want the invasive and, plant to be the enemy, not you. Yep. So yep. you, so. you want to win them win them and, and you have to do it gradually and know your audience. Mm-hmm. It may be someone if, – if you're really good friends with this person, you may be able to be more candid yep. and talk to it. But if you don't know them very well, it's, it's yep. better to tread gingerly to get to that point. Yeah. But even like I'm going back to that situation. Oh, I easily could have said – found – tried to look up an article about eucalyptus and said, oh, yeah, you, after our eucalyptus conversation, I looked it up and found this and make it like – I'm new to this information too. Yeah. It's and I I'm not saying be deceitful, but like you want to introduce these topics gently because you don't know how someone's going to take it. You the can, intent is I know it happens all the time. The intent is really good. Think about when you're you're driving on the road and you cut someone off. You're saying, "Oh, I really shouldn't have done that, but I'm in a rush. I I got to get the kids to school or I'm I really got to go to the bathroom." Yeah. You make up an excuse because your intent was good. Yeah. You didn't mean to, but yeah. think about when someone cuts you off and they are the worst person alive. Yeah. I can't believe that curse word <laughs> just did that. And I'm going to go and have some road rage. And But who knows what their intent was? Yeah. Realistically, it was probably similar to what your intent might have been if you were in that situation. So, but maybe a, a, that's a good example of how yeah. it can really be the intent is innocent. But it can really be misconstrued by the recipient. So, so so maybe a good way to handle the situation that we're talking about would have been, oh, I didn't know that. that you know, Knowing your audience, knowing that it wouldn't have been a good time and following up and mm-hmm. saying something like, hey, I was really actually excited to learn that eucalyptus was native. And I did a little research, and I found out – I was surprised. I found out it was, and I thought you might be interested in this. Yeah, yeah you're yeah. sharing information. You're not telling. Yeah. That's, or you're not I guess making, that's the, you're the not, key. It's I'm it's, right, you're wrong. Exactly. It's not making someone feel bad because they assumed yeah. something. I really don't like to do it in, in public. No. It's like I try and – and if I have to do it in public, I would really try and like broach it. I try and do it behind the scenes because you don't want to embarrass someone too. Yeah. It's like, oh, yeah, you were wrong about that. Like they're going to feel – another thing that came up in that conversation was the idea of status. And people want to know that their opinions are respected. Yes. Um, and that they are respected. People view them and say, oh, that's a good person, or I really like that person's views. And when you say to someone in public, oh, yeah, no, you know, you're wrong about that, it may not knock down their status in other people's eyes or even your own eyes. Your intent may be to just let them know that they have an incorrect idea, but they may really take it and say, I can't believe that person just knocked me down a peg in front of all those people. What an a hole they are. And yeah. I'm, I'm throwing well, a couple. Words are my friend. You know, but I, you know, you think of everyone has met someone that is the person that has done everything that you've done, but has done it better, Mm -hmm. you know, or they, 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 they know one step more of every, you know, they have to be smarter than you. And you don't want to be that person. The one upper. You don't want to be the one upper. No, you, you want, you want, like, you understand, you want to be heard and you, you want, uh, uh, a captive audience mm-hmm. and and you have to yep. you have to win them the right way so i think carolyn that was a wonderful question and yeah. it's something we kind of we try to show by example but we've never actually talked it out mm-hmm. like this yeah. so i yeah. i appreciate because I, i'm sure other people have had this same thing and sometimes you find yourself in that scenario and you're not thinking right because you're a little flustered and you're like oh that's 
that's not right. Like, and it's it's hard to sometimes get your thoughts together to handle it. Sometimes you handle it badly and you walk away and you're like, oh, I could have done this. Yep. You know, so it's best way is practice. And if you if you're thinking about it and and you just have to practice it and then become second nature. So it's we've all I, I've made the mistake of handling it the wrong way plenty mm-hmm. plenty of times. Yeah. So hopefully so, I've learned from it. Yeah. So we don't have a grow read a book. No, no grow read a book. I'm gonna save it for next time. And we again we kinda wanna make the question the topic, topic here again. To me, yeah, I, I felt that that Carolyn's question was topic worthy mm-hmm. for uh, for a good discussion, and I didn't want to cut it short. I really yeah. wanted to talk about it. So that really is our topic, and that leaves us. And we're we're well over an hour. <laughs> um, that leaves us with take it or leave it. And I had picked this before before Tom knew, like with mm-hmm. his article, was peat moss because we're just as an industry we've talked with other nurseries with COVID and the. The break in the supply chain. Everyone knew if you wanted product for for mixes this spring, yeah. you need to you needed to order it last year. Can, can I tell you that surprisingly, not everyone not everyone right. knew, and there's a lot of people lot, who are very upset. <laughs> a lot of people knew, and a lot of people didn't yeah. realize. They just thought they would be able to get product yeah. as normal. Um, and you know, here's the other thing: you may have ordered enough, if not mm-hmm. more than what you needed, but not everyone else did. So yep. if they don't have the plants to sell and you do, then you have more of a demand saying, well, I can't get this anywhere else. Can you grow it for me? Mm-hmm. Then what you thought was enough is no longer enough. Yes. Yep. Um, so regardless of how well, whether you, you didn't prepare in advance or how well you prepared in advance, you're still not prepared. <laughs> yes. Yep, exactly. And now this is a this is an issue that we're all facing. So we've been trying to move away from peat moss for a while. Mm-hmm. And it's such an important part. I don't know if everyone realized how important of a part of the soil mix this is for just about every nursery. Not every nursery, oh, yeah. but most yes. nurseries. Mm-hmm. So would you take or leave peat moss? Do you, do you feel that you can grow a comparable, healthy, vigorous product without it and not use peat moss? It's a, it's a – I'm going to have a great answer for and it depends. It really depends. Um, there's some things that'll grow fine without you. Oh, can, yeah. There's some stuff like and and giving a little bit of I guess more background here. Ours we have different soil mixes for different plants. Um, our standard woody plant mix. So this is our trees and shrubs. Tends to be pine bark, sand, and um, we used to use a lot of cocoa coconut pork, fiber. The coconut yeah. fiber. Um, last year we switched to something that had a little bit of peat moss in it instead of coconut fiber. And, um, this year right now we're just doing the pine bark and sand, but the more people I talked to, I'm like, yeah, maybe we want to add a little bit of something to that, whether it's a little bit of peat moss and then this pit moss product, the recycled paper product, um, to kind of just fill in some of those bigger gaps and, and make it a, a more, uh, I guess a thicker soil, I guess is the way to put it. So it's something that has a soil with substrate. I always say soil, but it's not. It's um, and something that'll kind of grab the water a little bit more than yeah. just pine bark and sand would. So now with our herbaceous production, uh, all the all basically anything that's like aquatic or emergent, 
you can really only do with peat moss. Yeah. I don't see something we could use instead of peat moss. And and you mentioned like um, coconut fiber, which we've tried. Mm-hmm. The plants didn't respond well. And sometimes because they store it in saline conditions, the coconut fiber salt. holds yeah. holds the salt content and you're dealing with plants that don't don't want mm-hmm. saline yeah. uh, uh, salinity conditions. Now so. the stuff that's wetland plants but not in the water that that they just like wetland conditions. We tried it with the the pit moss and um at ten percent it actually did pretty well. So that so when I say ten percent, ten percent of the mix was pit moss. Uh that would leave about fifty percent, fifty five percent of the mix was peat moss. And then the remaining thirty what, thirty five percent ish, thirty, thirty five percent ish was sand. And then we add some fertilizer and like yeah. a lime to bring it up to the right. There's some smaller amendments. But um those are the three major components that went into that and had really good results. I really liked those results. Um, and that was still, I didn't realize the, the pH thing was going to happen yet with the next experiment, which was we completely removed the peat moss in one, and it was just it was just this paper product pit moss and sand. Um, and then we did another mix where we removed half of the peat moss. So it was 33% pit moss, 33% peat moss, 33% sand, and I'm rounding up to 100. Yeah. I know it's yeah. only no. 99. Um, you get what I mean. But um, And that that experiment with those two products looked like it failed because I, we went into the houses a month later. We had it side-by-side, side, same plants, next to growing in our 66% peat moss, 33% sand. And, oh, man, the, the peat moss looked way better than the pit moss trials um, until I pulled the plants out of the, the cell. And like, I, I'm talking like the tops yeah. were actually probably two to three times bigger in than peat. on the peat moss than in the pit moss. And, uh, and that was on the one that had some peat in it. The ones that were just pit moss were even worse. They looked terrible. And some stuff was even like bleached out. It was like almost yeah. white with like red highlights and almost not green at all. It looked really bad until I started pulling some of the plants out and saw, wow, the roots are just as big, if not bigger, than what I'm seeing in the the peat moss mix. So that really got me thinking. At first, I was like, "This failed. Let's just throw them all out because they're no good and and call it a loss." Until I started pulling plants out and saw, "Wow, this is actually there's some promise here. If you have better root structure, okay, there's something to go off of here. What's going on with the tops? That the tops aren't as good." And that's when I dug around a little bit, tested, and eventually came down to testing the pH and said, "Oh." It's at a 7 or 7.2. We're typically trying to get around a 6 or a 6.2 in that range. So we're way higher. Started to look at my uh, nutrient charts to see where, because different nutrients release at different pHs more efficiently. Um, so like your nitrogen, magnesium, phosphorus, those kind of things. There's a pH chart that shows, okay, you're at 6.5, you're going to have optimal like I'm yeah. making things up yeah. now. I'm not saying the actual chart, but you're going to have optimal release of nitrogen where with iron, the lower the pH, the better up until you get about six and a half or probably six is when it really starts to taper off. And then six and a half is when you start to lose a lot of your iron availability. Um, so that's why we want to keep it at 6.2 because that's a nice healthy range for just about everything. You're yeah. not optimal for everything, but you're at a good range for everything. And when I saw, yo, we're at seven, I was like, oh, crap, this is, that's why. Yeah. And I started looking in, okay, iron deficiencies. Oh, you get bleached out looking plants where you can really see the veins. You can get red tips on, yeah. on things. Like, oh, that's what's happening. We hit it with a pH reducer, which I think was just citric acid. 
and uh, diluted it with water. Yeah. And literally the next day, they were green. Yeah. And within two weeks, they had almost caught up to the original plants. And, and you it find, was amazing. Because if it's a, it's a different mix, it has different water capacity, mm-hmm. too. So you have two things that have different water yeah. requirements oh, yeah. sitting right next to each other. And you're and they're watering, getting watering the same. You're, the same. You're, you're watering the one for the way you always do it, for the mix mm-hmm. you always have. And that's where you're having your best success. Yep. But if you alter those conditions for the right conditions, that's what I mean. Like you can't just – we were talking about you you can't just plug a new piece in and have it yeah. work you have yeah. to alter the whole system so yeah but that was our little experiment and then yeah. i was so after seeing the root growth i was really excited about the pit moss but also proved we couldn't completely replace this replace the peat moss yeah so that leaves me in an interesting predicament when it comes to take it or leaf it because well i can't completely leaf it but i think you the, don't. i don't fully want to take it either i'm somewhere in the and, middle and that's where which I, is going to drive our our graphic artist my crazy wife, crazy yeah. because, <laughs> because she likes to put a nice little and that's how kind stamp of we on our answers last week too. you know and it's, i would love not to not be dependent on this yeah. product because pete is not in the soil profile where our plants yep. are going you know it's good to start a plant but in no way shape or form is what the plant's going to grow in once it's planted mm-hmm. Yep. And they tell you not to amend the soil now. So I would love – all right, so if you don't need that, why do we have to use this product? Well, because you're growing them in a unnatural condition, yeah. and you, you need to, to make it so that it can thrive and be healthy um, because that's what mm-hmm. – even though we're not doing ornamental pruning because it's going to restorations, yeah. it's still – you know it's by provenance and health. And, and you know you want it to have a, a hardy root system and be healthy mm-hmm. and, and be the right plant, yeah. be true to name. I don't want to use it. Mm-hmm. I, I, I really don't want this product, and I'm hoping that the predicament that we're in causes us to find a system and a product that will alleviate that. But mm-hmm. you can't take it out and have us sell a finished product yeah. that people are going yeah. to want to buy. Yep. So I yep. I think we're working towards being able to leaf it, but mm-hmm. as for right now, we have no it's, option it's but to finding, take it. I think – and I realistically, I think it's going to be a combination of these options. I talked about that hydrofiber, which is a, a mass-produced product now, but it's not currently crazy on the market. Uh, apparently, in the UK, there's a lot more options. There's when I was scrolling through the other article, the one through um, nursery management that I saw, uh, they actually had another product, which was miscanthus fiber. And I'm like, that's interesting. And knowing about miscanthus does not sound good to me because yeah. now you're growing monocultures of miscanthus that you're gonna to the process and you know that's gonna escape um one of the nurseries we spoke to was presented with cow fiber Mm -hmm. as an option which was made from cow manure yeah so if that's replacing peat moss and fertilizer Mm -hmm. you know for a more natural thing um i know uh daryl uh and um and carrie stanker who were sunset farms yeah right at the beginning of last year when we had the the nursery uh, breakdown episode, yeah. uh, business the, of native plants episode one. Um, they use leaf compost, uh, this pit moss product in low doses, and something else. I can't remember what it is off the top of my head. The, but the, when I started at Princeton Nurseries, we actually had our own leaf composter mm-hmm. and used leaf compost, but the mix was too light and created yeah. too many uh, fungus mm-hmm. issues. So even though they were trying, you know, this and. Yeah. Now we're going back 20 years, 25 years. So um, people have been trying this Mm -hmm. unsuccessfully or somewhat successfully 
for decades. Yep. Now I think we're at a point where we need to find yeah, we need a to way. figure it out. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so it's an interesting predicament. It's uh, exciting at the same time yes. for someone who enjoys new science and all that. But uh, I know for a lot of people, it's really stressing them out. Can I let people in on a little like trade secret that I think I it's it's fairly new age. I think if you ask someone, that's probably. Well, I don't want to insult you, Fran. I was going to say over yeah. fifty, but it's probably am, like closer to like fifty-five or sixty. Can I, can I share something with yeah. you? I, I had to. I, I take a, a bunch of daily supplements and vitamins every day, yeah. and I ran out of vitamins. And I went to get <laughs> new ones, and there was an option for a men's daily multivitamin for fifty plus. And I I chuckled, and then I went, "Well, I am fifty-one. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to be fifty-two this year. I guess I I fit that demographic." And I begrudgingly bought it. Mm. But I was like, oh, yeah, I forgot I'm, yeah. I'm 50, 50, going to be 52. Well, here's a, a little side secret. Not our main secret. Our little side secret is and, – and, and, again, I haven't done the science on this, so I don't know for sure, but I haven't done the research. But someone has told me that has done a lot of the research saying that, like, perlite and vermiculite really don't do anything. But okay. when you buy those soil mixes at your garden center – People, people just buy it because they want to see those little white flecks in it. They know it. They, they know just, it. It's, that's familiar. So they, they put it in a lot of these soil mixes knowing it really doesn't do anything just so because more people will buy it because that's what they're used to. Yeah. So it's really just filler. But I'm sure there's some some person out there is like, oh, no, I love perlite. <laughs> <laughs> this guy is a wackadoo. <laughs> well, we, <laughs> we, we've learned through our journeys that not everyone – you know, agrees with everything that we say. So, and I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. Anyway, anything else, Fran? No, I think we've actually been over an hour and 20 minutes. Okay. We we put a full show together without trying to put a full show together. And you're still going to get out in time, so. I am. I am. So that's a hot date tonight with my fiance. (laughs) That's going to wrap us up. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed listening to The Buzz. Thank you, everyone, for listening to Native Plants Healthy Planet presented by Pylons Nursery. Thank you to RJ Comer for our Buzz theme music. Uh, Make sure you stream or buy RJ's music on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you consume your music. You can follow us on Twitter at Pineland Nursery, Facebook at Pinelands Nursery NJ, Instagram at Pinelands Nursery or Native Plants underscore Healthy Planet, and YouTube at Pinelands Nursery. Uh, if you're not getting enough of us, uh, don't forget we did start a whole new podcast called The Native Plant Every Day with Tom and Fran that runs every Monday through Thursday. And you can find if you can subscribe anywhere else you find podcasts, uh, but you can find it at a Native Plant Every Day dot podbean.com and from there you can subscribe to any service right from that website and uh, don't forget the about the native plants healthy planet facebook group i was looking through that today marveling at the conversations and questions and how helpful mm-hmm. everyone is and i realized how unhealthy some of these other facebook groups are because someone started one where it was like native plants for nice people <laughs> <laughs> which i thought was and it was like a no judgment zone. You can ask questions and you can't be mean. That's the only. Yeah. I, I, know, like, I know a couple of people who are already going to be on their ban list, but I'm, <laughs> I'm not naming names, at least not on air. <laughs> so don't forget that. And we have the question and comment line 215-346-6189. I will repeat that 215-346-6189. The questions have been phenomenal. The last couple episodes of The Buzz, uh, call us up, leave a question or a comment. We're going to play it on a future episode of The Buzz and we'll answer it or we'll have a conversation about it or we'll uh we'll phone a friend so uh we appreciate all the phone calls
So um, you can buy Native Plants Healthy Planet merch directly on our website. There's a little banner across the top that says uh, support Native Plants, buy a T-shirt. You can click on that. It'll take you to our Teespring store. Um, there's some pretty cool designs, if I say so myself. There I wear are. a couple sometimes, because, and I say they're cool because I designed them, of course. But um, They're cool. I, like I said, I, I own five. <laughs> We yeah we don't take any of the money from that. Well, I guess we t- we take it and then we give it away. Yes, we don't keep any of it. Is the way to say it. So we're giving it away to organizations like the Native Habitat Project and like Sourland Conservancy that are really boots on the ground doing some really cool stuff in their areas. And uh, and we're really looking forward to giving away some more this year. Yes. and that should be coming up pretty soon. I saw we sold a couple more shirts. In awesome. The, I'm happy not to hear too, that. Uh, too distant um, past. So. Um, you can also listen to the podcast uh, on our website, www.nativeplantshealthyplanet.com. Um, but you're probably listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, really wherever you consume your podcast. If it's possible where you listen, do us a favor. Leave us five-star review. Give us a little write-up. Give us another little feel-good uh, ego I, boost at the, the end of the night. It's, it really it, does mean a lot man. to us, and it means a lot to the, all the algorithms that promote our podcast to more people. And the more people are planting native plants – less invasive plants that are out there those last couple five-star reviews gave me the chills they were they really did and it was i noticed our new podcast already has six reviews and uh someone left a review on that one already and i'm I'm happy about that and i think uh native plants healthy planet has 91 reviews on yeah i saw that we're averaging like over a 4.8 so we're we're happy about that so i think it's last week was my secret even though you gave a secret yeah but i gave a secret too so I'm just saying it's your turn. Okay, and we talked about one a little earlier, and yeah. uh, and it was a coworker of ours made some homemade hot sauce and brought some in because Fran and I are both like hot sauce fiends. Yes, and uh, and I've made my own hot sauce before, and it was just a little story that I started thinking and of. Tom, Tom's is actually my favorite hot sauce. I have to say, and I'm really bummed that I just finished. I'm, I don't last. think I don't think Mark listens to the podcast, so I think you're safe telling me that. Right. And I said it when he was here. It is your your pot, well, your hot sauce is my favorite. But anyway, my wife and I had taken a trip to uh, New Orleans a couple years ago, and they have the hot sauce stores all over the place. And um, one of my friends at the time was being deployed overseas, and he loved hot sauce way more than I did, like way hotter, just loved it, Um, especially because he said the food over there was not good, like the food they served in the barracks halls and lunchrooms and all that. Well, um, so I was like, oh, I'll send a little care package with some hot sauce in it, and what what better place to buy hot sauce than at this hot sauce store in New Orleans, and went in, and I'm doing like the taste tests, and the ladies walking me around saying, well, taste this one. This one's like really hot and i'd taste it i'm like it's not hot enough for him <laughs> i just kept going <laughs> and then i was like don't you have anything hotter than what this because like it's not even hot enough for me and and he's way hotter than me and um she's like she took me over this little plexiglass case and <laughs> pulls out uh the one bottle and she's like okay try this one and i try that i'm like that's a lot hotter but yeah. it's still i do you have anything hotter than that because he's gonna want the hottest thing you yeah. can give him and then she's like She's like um, impressed that I. She already was impressed yeah. that I wasn't like breaking a sweat yeah. trying these because there were people that were literally like bright red yeah. from trying these things. And she's like, "This is the hottest bottle we have. We normally make people sign a waiver to try this, <laughs> but, <laughs> but since you haven't even like broken a sweat or like taken a sip of water yet, I'm just gonna let you have it." Yeah. And she gave me a taste of that, and that one was really hot. Okay. That one, but still, there was a guy next to me who had signed the waiver and had eaten it, and. He was like, how are you standing up? <laughs> like, I had to sit down on the oh, floor for, I, for like two minutes. And that, I bought that one. And, we we talk about hot yeah. stuff all the time. And I, I can handle 
like some yeah. hot stuff. The hottest thing I ever had was – this is going back probably about four years ago, and I was at a Thai place in Princeton. I had gone there for dinner with a friend, and I'd gotten a Thai bowl, mm-hmm. and there was a little pepper in the bowl. Yeah. But there were probably 20 of these little peppers in the bowl. So mm-hmm. I was, I'm assuming, you know, and I, I'm trying to remember, you know, how they say, like, how do you like the heat? It's yeah, like yeah. mild, medium, mm-hmm. or hot. I think I went medium. Mm-hmm. Like, I may have gone hot, but there were 20 of these peppers in there. So I'm assuming there's so many of these in there, they can't be that hot. Well, yeah. <laughs> they were that. I literally turned bright red and broke out in a sweat, and it, like, it stopped me in my, ch- I, I couldn't eat for about five minutes. Yep. Like it, it, and even my friend that I was with, they were like, "You want me to eat one so that we're both?" Mm-hmm. I was like, "No, no, because I yep. can handle hotter things than you can. You're going to be a mess." So, so that was, yeah, yeah. Cool. I ever since then, now I have not gotten the hottest yeah. uh, heat <laughs> the, for yeah, for, for Thai. Yeah. So well, that was another fun episode. Thank you, everyone. I'm Tom. I am Fran. Thank you again, everyone. Uh, coming up, do we have a rooted discussion coming up next? Uh, hopefully, hopefully. hopefully. We're hoping next episode you listen to is going to be a rooted discussion, which should be a lot of fun, and uh, we'll see you again next time. Until then, keep it native. Thank you for listening to the Native Plants Healthy Planted Podcast, presented by Pinelands Nursery. Remember to like, share, follow, and comment.